Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 17 of Grow Bud Yourself. And we will be talking all about edibles with our special guest, Elise McDonough, author of uh, the Bong Appetit Cookbook for Vice, official High Times Cannabis Cookbook, and Marijuana for Everybody. Uh, We're going to be talking about plant watering, taking questions, and doing our strain of the fortnight as well. This is Grow Bud Yourself, brought to you by Excelsior Extracts. Please stick around. Episode 17, coming at you. All right, welcome, and as always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. Here we are, episode 17, you guys. Um, thanks for sticking with us. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. Thank you to everyone. Um, hope you enjoy the new logo. That's yeah, that's exciting, thing. right? Yeah, we have rebranded with a new logo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grow Bud Yourself uh, by our friend Steph. Uh, and... It's yeah, going to get more colorful, we should we should mention, um, but this is like the first iteration of it, and I think it looks really good, but, but yeah. let us know what you guys think. Absolutely, absolutely. And we have a great show for you today. Uh, as I mentioned, Elise McDonough, a longtime friend and colleague of both of ours, uh, we spent uh, almost 20 years together working over at High Times Magazine, and now she is with Canacraft, which is one of the biggest companies, if not the biggest uh, cannabis company in California with a bunch of different brands. Uh, She's the brand manager over there for Satori, which makes uh, their edibles, chocolates, and and absolutely amazing uh, products that they have. Um, So stick around for that. That's really exciting. We haven't really done an edible show uh, yet. We've had hash, we've had flour, and now uh, we're talking about cannabis food. And if you're going to talk about, you know, edibles, I think Elise is the person to go to. She's like very devoted to the uh, the topic and she's excellent at uh, coming up with these recipes that are both potent, but also tasty. So great. Guest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. So um, other than that, you know, we've just been putting together our first issue of Northeast Leaf magazine, which has been very exciting and lots of big news in the Northeast uh, happening. Just putting this magazine together, you just really start thinking about how uh, the Northeast is becoming sort of this really important center of cannabis law reform. And it's really interesting to me to think by the end of this year, I guess really by the beginning of next year, Massachusetts, Maine, New Jersey, and Vermont could all have regulated cannabis with retail sales. So that's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it is amazing, and it, I feel like you know, the the industry is moving its way east right now, and we're in the place uh, where you know, sort of Colorado and California and and the Pacific Northwest were, you know, maybe five or ten years ago, or even even you know, even more than ten years ago in a way, uh, because you know, it's like a new frontier. Companies have you know have are are here. Corporations are here. Uh, but now that the laws are changing, it's, the landscape is changing completely. And, you know, whereas before there was a couple of states that were just medical, now we're talking about, um, you know, 
uh, adult use rec states selling cannabis to a, you know anyone over 21 in a store and and I think along with that is going to come a lot of other changes to the laws as far as it come you know uh, social use and tourism and and where people can consume cannabis and so it really is interesting and, and a lot of changes happening right here in our backyard yeah for sure and the other thing you know that people in the west coast and, and colorado can attest to is that you know when these laws change it sort of enables new and really astounding strains you know products that uh, maybe weren't possible before i mean obviously there's always been an underground traditional market where people were creating amazing cannabis but there is something about uh, the change in attitude that also brings along with it sort of this other kind of creative excellence to the cannabis industry. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the other, the other benefit of having um, those other states to look at uh, is that, you know, you can learn from mistakes that were made, mm. uh, whether it be overregulation, um, taxing, you know, packaging, social equity, uh, home grow, social use of cannabis. You can look at you know, where these stumbling blocks were, let's say in Colorado or, or California or Oregon or, or Washington or wherever, and you can adjust to those things and actually create better laws that are more equitable and, and, you know, packaging that is, you know, biodegradable and reusable and things like that. So that we're not using single use plastics. Uh, we're not using, you know, we're not, uh, allowing just a certain small segment of the, you know, the, the, the public to, to benefit. Uh, and some of that, you know, and then where that money goes, where the tax money goes, you know, to build roads and things, all these things are you know, not set in stone yet and we can figure them out and we can try to do it the right way. Yeah, for sure. And to me, it's really impressive to see how social equity is is becoming more and more important when they they craft these laws you know this is something that you know maybe 10 years ago really was an afterthought for programs and now you know when a bill is introduced social equity programs are you know for the most part a, a large part of what people are trying to get past yeah 100% and also expungement of people's criminal mm, records right. usually follows these law changes as well which is very important you know people have felonies on their record people you know who are still in jail are released people who you know can't get jobs or can't get loans or can't get uh, you know organ transplants uh, can't adopt children there's so many different things uh, that stand in the way in your way when you have these convictions or these things on your record and so I think it's really important that we, you know, make sure that we follow through that so that, you know, people aren't becoming millionaires while someone is still locked up uh, in jail for the same thing. That's, you know, that's very important. Yeah. And expungement is actually one of the things that that New York State has been able to uh, to implement. But with all the, the amazing things going on in this region and everywhere in the country, New York, please, can we please get our, our shit together here? It's like so disheartening that New York just is lagging behind. It really is. And I mean, if New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, if all these states go, I mean, that's it. That's, you know, that's the whole country. Uh, if you're going to count, you know, all the, you know, the other states that have changed the laws um, from the West Coast to the Midwest to even Oklahoma uh, and Florida, 
at that point, the country really needs a major federal uh, change. I think, you know, descheduling cannabis is a big step in that direction. Not rescheduling, not changing it to a different schedule number, but just taking it off the schedule is very important. So, you know, I, I have high hopes uh, and I do think that, you know, like I said, we can learn from other states' uh, mistakes. We can learn from, you know, different things that they've had to do to change their laws over time uh, to accommodate. Like, for instance, in Florida, they didn't have, smoke, you know, uh, flour as part of their medical cannabis. Well, now you can get flour and pre-rolls and things. So, you know, Yeah, did you hear that in New York? Let's, <laughs> exactly. let's uh, maybe think about that. Exactly. Now we're in a place where we have pre-ground flour in New York that is supposed to be used in a vaporizer. And it's, you know, we should be able to get concentrates and, and, and flour and anything, you know, edibles. All those things should be available uh, to patients here. And, you know, frankly, to people who aren't even patients, who are just adults who want to consume cannabis. So we're getting there. And we've come a long way, but there's a long way to go. But uh, if, if uh, you are interested in uh, what's going on in the uh, cannabis world in the Northeast, uh, you know, check out Northeast Leaf Magazine. Absolutely. There's uh, neleafmag.com is our landing page uh, where you can contact us. And we are on social media, Northeast Leaf Mag uh, at Instagram, Northeast Leaf Magazine, I believe, on Twitter. And also we have a page on Facebook. Uh, so join us. Uh, you'll be able to get your first copy of that magazine this September. Very exciting stuff. And we'll obviously keep you posted on what is going on there. But what do you say we maybe jump into this uh, great interview we have with Elise McDonough? Absolutely, yeah. Let's take a couple of gummies. And uh, we will be talking with Elise McDonough of Canacraft after the break. All right, you guys, I just want to talk really briefly about a wonderful company called Excelsior Extracts. It's our friends, the original Outcast and T-O-H. Uh, Excelsior is spelled E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R Extracts. Uh, they have an amazing THC-infused pain rub, a lot of incredible products, but the pain rub is the most effective topical I have ever used. It's because Outcast herself is a patient and she needs very, very strong um, topicals. So she makes this THC infused pain rub that absolutely works and takes away the pain. So uh, give them a follow on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts, or you can email them directly at Excelsior Extracts at gmail.com. All right, you guys, welcome back. And we have a very special guest, a uh, longtime friend and colleague uh, of myself and Mike's uh, at High Times Magazine, uh, who has gone on uh, to incredible, incredibly bigger and better things. Uh, it is Elise McDonough of Canacraft. Elise, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and thank you for joining us. I know uh, there's some some fires out out where you are, uh, and you know some sort of treacherous things going on in California. 
uh, and I know you're like on possible uh, evacuation watch. So uh, thank you for joining us during that. Tell me a little bit about what's going on out there. Yeah, yeah. We're just keeping an eye on everything right now. Um, there's a smaller fire uh, burning to the north of us called the Wallbridge Fire that's near uh, Armstrong Woods State Park and uh, getting closer to Healdsburg. And then there's a bigger fire out to the east. So we're just staying safe and, uh, yeah, packed our go bags. So uh, just in case. Yeah, no, uh, our uh, our hearts go out to everyone out there and uh, please stay safe. Uh, and, you know, the, it's getting to be crazy where this is an, 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 an all year round sort of threat and a fire season and all of these things. It, it, it's an obvious, uh, you know, aspect of us doing damage to the doing harm to the planet. Um, but let's go back. Uh, we met almost 20 years ago, actually, which is crazy to think uh, when you started working at High Times. And we at that time, you know, we only had the Amsterdam Cups. And we were going over to Holland once a year. And I think, you know, um, you really started to get like an affinity for edibles. Uh, and, and that became kind of your, your, one of your areas of expertise uh, in those days. Why don't you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, those early experiences with cannabis and how you wound up at high times? That's a wide ranging question there, Dan. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like we were just reminiscing about Amsterdam last night. Um, and we rewatched the Kid Cudi video for marijuana when it was him and Shia LaBeouf filmed that video about their trip to Amsterdam. And it makes me so nostalgic whenever I hear that song and uh, think about that time in our lives. It was very special. So yeah, the Cannabis Cup, we all worked at and everybody at High Times wore a lot of different hats. And um, that was the beginning of my love affair with edibles in many ways. I remember going to Chocolata and getting the hash hot chocolate and just wandering around the streets in like a very pleasant, warm days. <laughs> um, and you really saw some interesting things there in, in the Netherlands. But the Dutch still considered it a hard drug. Um, so there wasn't really a lot of options as far as um, edibles in the coffee shops. But uh, it did spark my interest. And I had always been interested in, in cooking and, and healthy eating. And when I was living in New York, working at High Times, I would go take classes at the Natural Gourmet Institute on nights and weekends. And that gave me the base of a lot of my fundamental cooking skills. And, uh, you know, I, I remember Space Cake Friday and how we used to all take turns bringing in different treats to the office until the one day that it went awry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, was it the upside down pineapple cake, I think? Oh, my gosh. And I just remember, yeah, like there. That's be the a, one that wrecked me. Yeah. yeah, it was always like a bustling, busy place and a lot of talk and a lot of, you know, phones ringing and, and things going on. And I just remember it got real quiet. And like the phones are all ringing and no one's picking them up. And like eventually somebody was just like, are you guys all okay? <laughs> we were like too scared to go get lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I parlayed those awesome experiences into uh, pitching the High Times Cannabis Cookbook, um, which compiled all the best recipes from High Times throughout the years. And that really spread met the moment and, and sparked this trend of cannabis cookbooks as a genre. 
And like at the time when that came out in, in 2012, it got a lot of press attention. It was one of the first major publishers to come out with a cannabis cookbook. And I think, you know, some of the first talk about going beyond brownies and introducing cannabis into savory recipes and, and regular meals. Um, so yeah, it, it's been an honor and a privilege to watch the movement evolve throughout all of these years, um, throughout the cannabis cup days and the medical marijuana movement all the way to a fully regulated uh, marketplace here and how the products have changed throughout that time has been fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, uh, you've written, actually written three books. Uh, you mentioned the official High Times Cannabis Cookbook that sort of launched uh, a lot of this. Um, you, you were writing columns uh, at the time as well with recipes in the magazine. Um, and then you also wrote uh, Marijuana for Everybody, uh, and also uh, the Bong Appetit cookbook for Vice as well. Uh, and that's pretty amazing just to go from basically, you know, pot brownies and space cakes being kind of the only, you know, cannabis food uh, that was really widespreadly known to, you know, now having cookbooks and columns. And now you are the brand manager at Canacraft, which is actually California's largest cannabis company. Uh, they have a bunch of different brands, uh, um, including chocolate. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you do over at Canacraft and what Canacraft does as well. Yeah, what, what drew me to Canacraft was its authenticity and, and roots in the cannabis movement. Uh, the founders, you know, Ned, Ned Fussell and Dennis Hunter, they have been active in cultivation um, in the Prohibition era. They understand the importance of cannabis as medicine, as well as as a recreational products that all adults should be able to enjoy. Um, so that's what really attracted me to working there was like their authenticity as real cannabis people. And I always found Care by Design to be very inspiring. Uh, and Martin Lee and Tiffany Devitt and all the people who built that brand, which was the first to pioneer CBD ratios in California. And they were so ahead of the curve that they have CBD.org, <laughs> you know, like they were way ahead of the CBD craze and um, they still support Project CBD to this day, which is one of the very best resources for accurate information about uh, CBD. So it, it was a real honor for me to join this organization. And I currently manage Satori Confections, um, as well as developing other edibles uh, within Canacraft. And so, yeah, we currently have Care by Design and Absolute Extracts and Hi-Fi Hops and Loud and Clear and just launched a new flower brand called Farmer and the Felon. So it's a fun place and there's a lot of activity uh, going on. And, yeah, we currently work on Cannabis Chocolate uh, we also make gummies and beverages and all kinds of fun things. Um, so yes, it's like it's go like going into like the Willy Wonka weed factory. Uh, so it's, it's a really cool place. That is awesome. Um, so even aside from High Times and Canacraft, you've also uh, you know you've written for Vice, Cannabis Now, Sensi Magazine, uh, Leafly, uh, basically all over uh, the cannabis, you know press and, 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 you know, regular press, including New York Times, Vogue and Bon Appetit. Um, 
where do you see, you know, edibles going? I think, you know, obviously, you know, microdosing became pretty popular in the in the recent, you know, times, especially, you know, with the five milligram uh, requirements and things like that. Um, but where do you see, you know, the future of uh, cannabis edible consumption? It's pretty interesting to me to watch it evolve from being somewhat of a novelty uh, to being something that I think people are going to integrate into their everyday healthy lifestyle. I honestly think it's going to go more towards like basic infused cooking ingredients like butter and oils, as well as things like condiments. I think you're always going to see a place for chocolate and gummies. Um, but I do think that some of the novelty will wear off in the coming years. Um, what I think is really fascinating about cannabis and food and wine and all the areas in which they overlap and intersect is the idea of a fully realized cannabis hospitality and fine dining experience. And we were getting closer to that uh, in the pre-COVID era, but we're still not quite there. And unfortunately, a lot of the underground supper clubs that were operating uh, have ceased, you know, for now. But the creativity of chefs working with cannabis is something that I really want to support and something that I'm very optimistic about as far as what the future holds. Um, I'm honestly very hopeful that we're going to see such large scale cannabis production that will have uh, more traditional hash type products that will be very affordable. You know, I'm basically like envisioning a society somewhat like Morocco where there's just tons and tons of cannabis, but people aren't really smoking it. They're making it into hash. And I think that eventually we'll get there as well. And um, I love cooking with hash. So that's what I'm hoping for is a more affordable hash that we can use in recipes and just put it into a salt shaker, you know, put it on everything. <laughs> nice. Um, now, what about people who want to make cannabis edibles at home? Um, you know, uh, let's talk a little bit about that process. How important is uh, is decarboxylation, and and you know what? How does that process work? Yeah, for people who are cooking at home, it's very personalized, and cannabis is so versatile that you really can make something that will specifically meet whatever need that you have. And so, I. Um, I give people a lot of advice if they reach out to me on Twitter, if they're looking for specific recipes, but the decarb process is vital if, you're, if your intention is to get every little bit, every little milligram of THC out of the plant, you're going to want to decarb. And so basically what that does is it just converts the non-psychoactive acidic cannabinoids like THCA and CBDA, the process of heating and drying the plant. Uh, drops the um, the the uh, the carbon molecule off of the off of the the overall THC molecule, and it makes those products active for the human body to absorb and get high off of. Basically, um, so you can do this process by toasting your buds before you do an infusion. You can decarb as you infuse. Uh, so there's a lot of nuance that we get into, especially in the in the Bong Appetit book, about when you want to decarb and how you want to decarb. And what's interesting is we're seeing a shift from the previous paradigm of needing to be as efficient as possible with your plant material 
and wring every little bit of THC out of it, even if the process of doing that makes it not taste very good. And I think what you saw with Bong Appetit was less an emphasis on getting as high as you possibly can and more an emphasis on maintaining and preserving flavors and making the, the food taste better. And you're still getting high, but you're not, you know, you're not going overboard and making these butters that are like really green and like really herbaceous. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I also remember you were part, you, you, you were the head of a study basically um, where you, you know, did side by side comparisons with different infusions, I guess, like meaning uh, coconut oil, butter, uh, and different types of things, I guess, uh, to infuse. And what, what were the results of that? What did you learn uh, from doing that kind of uh, study? Yeah, we did a couple experiments that we made uh, video content out of uh, for High Times back in the day. And one was called the Ultimate Can of Butter Experiment. And that was when we uh, used the same kind of butter and the same kind of cannabis and, and made can of butter four different ways and got it all lab tested to see if there was uh, one method that was more efficient than the others. And that was a really fascinating process. And then we also did a test where we infused cannabis into all these different kinds of fat and then did lab testing to see if any type was, you know, more efficient than the others. And as I remember, the results were, you know, the results were very similar, but we did see that saturated fats that are solid at room temperature, like coconut oil or butter or animal fats, seem to be slightly more effective at pulling THC out of the plant material uh, compared to things like um, olive oil. Um, but yeah, it really just depends on what you want to make, what effects you're trying to achieve, and you can design a recipe that's that's going to give you a very personalized effect. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a interesting about olive oil versus butter. Um, but also now I, th- I feel like a lot of edibles are made using uh, isolates and distillates of uh, THC or CBD um, at like sort of a pure level. And, and I find maybe just as is anecdotal or, or, or just my experience, but the ones that are made with uh, using the distillates or the isolates sort of come on a little bit stronger, uh, but aren't as long lasting. And the ones that are made with butters and oils um, take a little bit longer uh, to hit me, uh, but then last a bit longer as well. Does that have something to do with the blood brain barrier or, or how that THC is, is absorbed? What, uh, or is that maybe just, uh, anecdotal because it's just my personal experience. There's definitely a lot of individual variants in how people respond to edibles. And that has to do with your diet and what else you've eaten that day and individual metabolism and things like that. Um, It definitely seems like products that are made with a full flour infusion into butter hit people differently than products that are made with uh, distillate. For example, gummies, you know, there's not fat in the gummies, but there is a lot of sugar. And so like when your body uptakes cannabis with the sugar, it can make you feel higher faster, which I think is why gummies are so popular. But yeah, one of the fun things about Canacraft is that we work with a lot of different uh, PhDs on our new product development team, uh, including Matt Elms, who's a really, really cool guy who has a lot of uh, knowledge around cannabinoid science. 
And so we talk about the varying aspects of like how these things are absorbed and like, you know, we put a lot of thought into design the products. And recently we did a new fast acting strawberry that uses something called Vesisorb, which is a nano emulsifier that helps the cannabinoids be broken down into these like super tiny droplets that are easier for your body to uptake and absorb, um, resulting in a, in a faster onset time compared to traditional edibles. So there's a lot of cool things you can do when you get into the science. Um, there's still a lot more to learn about edibles and how uh, your body reacts to them, as well as how different cannabinoids and terpenes are absorbed and if there's any effects to that. Um, but yeah, what's cool about Canacraft as well is that we operate under these really strict regulations. And so we have to substantiate every claim that we make. Um, there has to be significant scientific consensus, uh, in order to support our statements. Um, so it's fascinating to me to review that science and to create really high quality educational content that, um, teaches people how it all works, you know? <laughs> right on. Um, so I have a confession to make. Uh, you know, I'm always bragging about, oh, I, I've, I've judged the most cannabis cups ever, uh, you know, uh, on earth, basically, because of all the Amsterdam and U.S. cups. It's true. He won't shut up about it. <laughs> I won't shut up about it. Uh, but I have never uh, judged an edible category in all those years. Uh, I've just never done it. I've been I, it, it, it scares me, to be honest. Uh and you've done it a bunch of times. Uh, people are always asking me, you know, how do you, how can you judge, you know, 30 types of weed in, in just a few days? Uh, and, you know, I have answers for them, for them. But when they ask me about edibles, I really don't. So I'm asking you, uh, how do you judge 30 or 35 edibles in, in five or six days? It's a very fair question. Yeah, at one point I did quantify all of the edibles that I had eaten and added them all up over all of the different contests. And I believe that I had attended at that point like 29 cannabis cup events consecutively and had been judging, yeah, with an average of 30 to 40 products uh, every single time. So what I would usually do when I first got the edibles kit was I would go through it, I would uh, evaluate all of the packaging, evaluate like the product design. I would go through and I would taste little bits of everything. And I would determine like, which are the top 10 that taste the best? Because basically, if it didn't taste good, and if the packaging was terrible, it just it wasn't gonna win, you know, so I would zero in on like the the top of the field contenders. And then I would take more time throughout the week to um, eat those products and evaluate them more on an individual level. And the, the cream always rose to the top uh, that way. And then we would have all the other judges and we would all get together and talk about it. Um, so I think it was a good system. It, you know, obviously it had some limitations, but I felt like over seven to 10 days, I could usually get a pretty good assessment of what the, the best products were going to be. <laughs> well, it's, you know, you can see from the winners uh, that great decisions were made and, and you know, companies were made uh, and people's careers were made out of uh, those wins. So that's pretty amazing. Now, for the average Joe, uh, you know, or Jolene, who is sitting at home and uh, has, you know, an eighth of some some bud and a couple of sticks of butter, uh, what's 
you know, what's the best way for them to get, you know, the, the, the most out of it? I mean, not, not necessarily the most potency, but just, you know, between flavor, potency, and, you know, just in general, uh, how would they go about uh, infusing their butter with that cannabis? Do you need to grind it up? Do you need to decarb it? Do you need to cook it for hours, uh, you know, in double boiler style? What's the, what's the ideal way? I would recommend that people check out the Ultimate Can of Butter Experiment. And what I always want to make clear to people is that there's a way to make an infusion with very basic kitchen equipment. Like you don't have to go out necessarily and buy a fancy piece of equipment if you don't want to. Um, that's what I think is cool about the ultimate can of butter experiment is that you see these four different methods and they all use a lot of different kind of um, cooking gear. And there's some that are, could be made even outside of a kitchen, just, you know, on a, on a tabletop with electricity. So I try to meet people where they are and like find out what kind of resources and equipment that they have and then help them decide on an infusion method that will work for them. But like, you know, the crock pot works pretty good. Um, the mason jar infusion method that we describe in Bong Appetit has become my go-to method because you can simultaneously infuse a lot of different kinds of fat at once. Um, so what you do is you just, you know, take your bud and you can grind it up. You add it to the fat in a little mason jar. You screw the top on, keep it kind of loose, um, put a washcloth or something, a clean washcloth in the bottom of a big pot. You put the jars in, um, you put water around the jars, and then you, you simmer that water so that um, the cannabis is infusing into the fat inside the jars. And I like to do that because it keeps the odor down and you can do your coconut oil and your olive oil and your butter all at the same time. It's pretty efficient. Um, but yeah, the sky is the limit when it comes to infusions now. And so it really depends on like what you're trying to make. Like I would, I would advise people to pursue different methods for flour versus for um, if they're infusing hash, if they're making a pesto versus making a dessert. Um, but in general, at its very, very basic, all you got to do is like saute uh, cannabis with a little bit of butter and, and strain it through a cheesecloth. And then you're, you're on your way to getting blazed. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, I should mention that, uh, Elisa's other half, uh, David Bienenstock, uh, is also a, a great friend and colleague. I see him walking around that back there, uh, <laughs> in the background, uh, with an amazing podcast as well that you guys should check out, uh, called great moments in weed history, uh, with Abdullah. Uh, Saeed. And uh, you guys both actually volunteered at WAM. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. And for people who don't know uh, what WAM is, uh, describe what that is and, and, and what that experience was, was like. For yeah, you. when I moved to California in 2010, I hooked up with the folks at WAM. Uh, I had met Mike and Valerie Corral some years prior at the Cannabis Cup while judging and so I got to hang out with them and, and talk with them a lot and was really inspired by uh, their mission and, and their characters. And so when we moved to California, we ended up in Santa Cruz um, and we started volunteering with WAM, which was a really wonderful, rewarding experience. 
And we'd go up to the garden on the weekends and, and work with patients who were cultivating their own medicine and making their own products and, you know, sitting up there trimming and making capsules and stuff. And it's a very cool place. And uh, the process of growing the garden was therapeutic in and of itself. And like the WAM organization wasn't just about the safe access to cannabis. It was also about com- creating a supportive community uh, that really helped uh, people who were suffering and who were dealing with serious illnesses. So I remain close with the WAM crew uh, through to this day. And Dave has actually been helping them with uh, some of their publicity and press efforts around the relaunch of WAM phytotherapies. Uh, so they're coming back with a brand and they're working towards um, building a community center. Uh, that'll be a wellness center for, for people in Santa Cruz. So yeah, it's a really wonderful organization and it's still out there. And I would um, encourage people to check out Wham Phytotherapies on uh, Instagram. Nice, nice. Um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, Satori and your work there. I work with the lead of edible production. Uh, his name is uh, Chef Matt Kolzicki. And so he, we together come up with product ideas and go through R&D processes to test them out. And it's a lot of fun to work with uh, Matt. He comes from a fine dining background. He learned chocolate work um, in Las Vegas. And then he was working for K&M Chocolates, which is uh, Thomas Keller's company in Napa. And they serve chocolates at the French Laundry and stuff like that. So um, very cool guy, very sophisticated flavor profiles that we like to play around with and um, – yeah, it's a lot of fun. Our most recent product was a s'more bite. So we had a marshmallow that we coated in cannabis-infused chocolate and graham cracker crumbs. So you get, like, all of the nostalgic flavors of s'mores and, like, one little bite that's infused with five milligrams of THC. Um, we also came out with a chocolate-covered blueberry that's a CBD one-to-one blueberry because that's my personal favorite ratio. So I just made those for me. <laughs> But yeah, we're, we're cooking up some new stuff uh, for 2021 and always looking to do new and interesting things. That's awesome. Um, I want to uh, give you an opportunity to let people know how they can uh, find out more about your books and your work and who you are. <laughs> hey, you can find us on, online at uh, satorichocolates.com. We come up with new recipes every week. You can follow us on Instagram at satorichocolates.com. You can reach out to myself on Twitter at Elise McD420, E-L-I-S-E-M-C-D 420. If you have any infusion questions, I can usually help people out. And I'm on Instagram at Cannabis Edibles 420, which is a pretty fun spin. If you go all the way back down through the feed, you can see the edibles sort of evolve over the years. <laughs> Um, so that's a pretty fun, uh, rabbit hole to go down, but yeah, yeah. Reach out to me if you ever have any, uh, edibles questions and look out for all those fun cannabis infused chocolate recipes at satori.com. Right on. Well, thank you so much, uh, Elise McDonough for coming on the show and, uh, for all the work that you've done to help, uh, the whole edible world, the cannabis world. Um, thanks for coming on the show and, uh, I hope people learned a little bit about uh, cannabis infusions.
All right, so thank you to Elise McDonough uh, for that nice deep dive into edibles. That was very interesting. It was, yeah. Great to hear from Elise. And uh, also um, fun to uh, reminisce about the old days over at Absolutely. High Times Magazine. That's true. We uh, we had some fun times, some high times. And uh, yeah, it's just great to see people uh, you know, continuing on and uh, landing on their feet and doing great things. Yeah, for sure. And I, I have to say, just to add on to that conversation um, about the uh, Space Cake Fridays at, at High Times, um, the one that we were talking about, the uh, the pineapple upside down cake, I uh, just wanted to mention because the memory came flooding back. Um, that one, I remember very distinctly sitting in my, uh, my cube, my cubicle, uh, thinking, what is the best way to pass out in an office desk chair? Um, <laughs> yeah. so I was like, oh, I feel like that's probably going to happen. So how do you do it? What's like, should I sit forward? Should I sit backward? Um, yeah. So maybe it's good that that, that ended for workday usage. Yeah. yeah. Space cake Fridays. It was quite a tradition though. We, we had that going for a while and I guess we just crossed the line with that one. It was made with hash. The icing and the frosting was made with hash. The whole, uh-huh. the whole thing was kind of overboard. It was real, man. And yeah. it was tasty too, which is yeah, like, that's the like, problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, All right. Anyway. So we are in the cultivation section now. Yes, and it's been a fortnight, I believe. Yes, it has. So um, it's time for. I, I guess that would be strain of the, the fortnight. fortnight. What do you have for us? Um, this one's an old school strain. Uh, it goes back way back, actually. Um, it's actually a original Indian land race from the Hindu Kush mountains, and it is the Hindu Kush. Uh, this is an amazing strain uh, available from Sensi Seed Bank, one of the original uh, Dutch seed banks, uh, Alan and Ben Dronkers, uh, great crew over there. And yeah, the Hindu Kush, like I said, uh, very much a land, land race, um, very short flowering period. This comes from the hash-making regions, uh, of India, um, where they make charis and things like that. Um, flowering time of six to seven weeks, uh, nice short stocky indica. Um, and you know, a lot of times pure indicas tend to knock people out. Uh, but this one has like a, a, a different quality to it. It's a, it's very rich and hashy and it, it is, it is narcotic and a bit sedative, but also a little, little bit in the head as well. Like very thought provoking. Um, and very odiferous, in- incredible uh, smell, incredible scent and odor, um, and, and it makes great hash, but we'll get to that. Um, great yielder, uh, also great if you're interested in breeding. I mean, because it's a land race, because it's uh, you know very stable, uh, it makes for great breeding, and if you get regular seeds of it, you may pop some males um, that will be incredible for... Uh, pollinating other, you know, distinctly different females like sativa, sativa dominant strains. Um, some people call this Afghanica, you know, from back in the day when there was Indica, Sativa, and Afghanica. Um, actually named that by uh, Nikolai Vavilov, the Russian uh, geneticist. And, you know, the characteristic wide, dark green leaves, uh, strong branching, uh, you know, just real stable, short, stocky indica plant so a lot of people use uh males of this uh, it's very stable uh will shorten flowering times and adds you know that certain hashy quality 
Uh, if you do make hash out of it, it's going to have that like old school Indian charas type of taste to it uh, that people kind of long for. So check it out at sensiseeds.com. Uh, the Hindu Kush is one of their flagship strains, and it's a great one. All right. Excellent. Well, that, that sounds like a tremendous, uh, odiferous, potent, lovely strain. So thank you for sharing with us. Um, okay, so now is the time on the show where you uh, talk about a grow topic that you think our listeners would benefit from learning more about. So what would you like to get into this week? Okay, this week I would ta- like to talk about watering, uh, specifically uh, when to water and how to water. Uh, it sounds simple, but it's not quite as simple as it sounds. Um, your chosen medium will help you to determine how often uh, you water so in and you should know that cannabis roots prefer uh you know a wet and dry cycle so they don't want to be sitting and in and soaked for long periods of time uh, and they certainly don't want to be dried out for long periods of time so you really want to kind of seesaw back and forth between uh moist and and dried out just barely so uh, one thing I recommend for people to do if you're growing in, in containers is to be able to lift your container and be able to, to determine from lifting it how, you know, sort of waterlogged it is. Because it can feel dry at the top uh, and still have plenty of water down below. So lifting containers gives you a really good idea um, because they should be nice and light uh, when they need to be watered and they should be nice and heavy when they don't and you'll get a good idea of that if you lift them uh throughout uh their growth cycle so uh once you gain that sense you'll really have an idea now uh if you have really bad water uh you might need to get reverse osmosis uh some people with well water have this some people with reservoir water it really depends and water is very different depending on where you live uh so you may have to remove the impurities of the water uh another thing is never use really cold or hot water, warm water. Uh, you do, really don't want to shock the roots. I see a lot of people using cold water um, that's a little too cold. Uh, somewhere between 65 and 80 degrees Fahrenheit is basically the ideal temperature. Uh, you definitely want to leave the water out as well overnight if you can, depending on if you're using reverse osmosis or not. A lot of times, um, you know, water is treated with chlorine and things like that. Uh, that will dissipate into the air when left out. So, um, if you're, you know, if you have an issue with chlorine, if you see those kind of like rust spots that happen that that you can't quite explain, a lot of times that's water quality, and you just need to either leave that water out for 24 hours, or uh, bite the bullet and get yourself a reverse osmosis machine that will purify that water. Um, and you may want to use a thermometer just to make sure you're getting that temperature right because shocking the roots is a bad thing. You also want to know the pH level. Uh, you do this after you've added nutrients. If you're adding nutrients, now that's another thing. You don't want to add nutrients every time you water your plants. Sometimes you just want to use plain water. And I honestly recommend plain water between almost every feeding uh, because plants need water. Plants need food but they also need lots of water, more than they need food. So uh, maybe if you're feeding really mildly, you can feed every time. But my recommendation is, um, you know, use nutrients uh, when your plants need them and use use plain water in between. Um, pH level uh, in a soilless mix should be about 6.0 to 6.5, uh, just slightly on the acidic side. 
Hydro growers should do 5.5 to 6.2, uh, a little bit lower, slightly more acidic. Um, and with hydro, you want to also uh, monitor the temperature of your water. And 80 is too high for hydroponic water. So, you know, I would say 68, 70 degrees is good. Um, you know, the other thing about water is sometimes there's like hard water that kind of sits on top. It, this happens if your soil gets kind of crusty uh, and, and the water will just sit on top and then it'll somehow, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like through capillary action, it'll flow right through and end up at the bottom in your trays without actually soaking into your soil mix. So uh, if that's the case, add a drop of uh, dishwashing liquid, uh, you know, organic, basic dishwashing liquid, unscented, uh, not the crazy chemical stuff. But one drop of that will soften up your water uh, without, you know, polluting your water or anything like that. And then it'll be able to, to absorb. You can do this with house plants as well, whatever. If your plants aren't, if the soil's not absorbing water, uh, a lot of times it's just a, a matter of the hardness and the softness of the water. So just a drop of that dishwa uh, um, dishwashing liquid will soften up uh, that water enough to be absorbed. And that this can be a real issue because if you could think that you're watering your plants and you're really not. Um, again, with the food, you know, alternate between plain water and adding food. Anytime you check the pH, check that pH after you've added all your nutrients, including, you know, your, your main nutrients, your NPK uh, base and any kind of micronutrients or additives that you use. Um, definitely avoid overwatering. Plants really hate it. Um, and you'll see signs of it wilting and just kind of, uh, sagging and, and, and plants just don't like it. Don't let them sit in water. If the water runs out of the bottom into trays, empty that water. So the plants don't sit in, uh, that wetness and um, that's basically watering for you guys uh, just remember like I said wet and dry um, lift those buckets and uh, keep your plants happy yes very good and uh, you know that's interesting because it's something that obviously uh, is incredibly essential to growing any kind of plant but you know maybe it's a little more complicated than people think and I'm sure that that helped a lot of growers okay so now is the time on the show where uh, you answer questions from our listeners. If you have a question that you'd like Dan to answer on this show, uh, you could reach us. The email is info at growbudyourself.com. And we're also on uh, on the socials where he is at Danny Danko. I am at Mike Check G. The show is at Grow Bud Yourself. Uh, what do you say we jump right in? Sounds great. All right. This first question is from Jeff who writes, thanks for answering my question on the last show. Uh, you might remember Jeff had that kind of unpleasant question about bug exoskeletons being stuck in his pot. So he writes, uh, I forgot to mention that these plants are autoflowers and it's a 100% outdoor grow exposed to the elements. I've used about 1500 ladybugs on the grow, but since it's not an enclosed space, they've all disappeared, which is a waste of $60. Um, I have recently switched to Safer's Endall spray around the plants, being careful not to get anything on the buds. So do you have any suggestions on what to use for pest management that's 100% organic? I've heard that marigolds are a natural repellent, uh, but are there any organic methods or suffocants I could be using? Uh, what do you think? 
Interesting. Yeah. Um, marigolds are great uh, because they repel certain bugs. Uh, the, the smell of marigolds uh, just repels uh, repels them. But there's also, you can use uh, plants that attract bugs as well. Um, almost like a canary in a coal mine. People use beans uh, in their grows sometimes and different plants um, that will actually uh, have the bugs prefer them to the cannabis plants. So beans are a great one. Um, you know, spider mites and certain bugs just love to eat uh, bean leaves. So I've seen people use beans uh, in their grows just basically to just distract the bugs that might be there and have them, you know, have the beans be the first thing that they attack rather than the cannabis. Um, and marigolds are great. Like I said, they're, they're a repellent. Um, ladybugs are great, but like you said, you're outdoors and they'll, they're going to eventually leave. Uh, but they are a preventative and there are lots of other uh, great predators that you can use, including um, predator mites, nematodes, uh, even something as big as a praying mantis uh, can be used in gardens. And you can buy all those things online. They'll mail it right to you uh, in egg form, and you just put them in the garden, and they, they release. And some of them will stick around as long as they have food. So those are great methods. Um, and, yeah, I would just remember to stick with organic methods. Prevention is so much easier than dealing with infestations. So do everything you can. Uh, to prevent infestations and you'll definitely be better off and have less of those uh, exoskeletons left behind. Very good. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, let's move on to Canna, who writes, um, hello, Dan and Mike. Uh, as I mentioned in my last question, I now have a roommate from BCNL using a 400-watt metal halide light. Uh, my question today pertains to scrog methods. Inside my unit, I have 38 inches of height from the top of my pot to the top of the grow space touching the glass. My question is, which height should I set the scrog netting? A 10 to 12 inches or closer to 24? Additionally, uh, you mentioned to keep an eye out for stretching. Now, how much space can be between the top cola and light without damaging the plant? Uh, thanks again. Shout out to both of you. So wh what would you say to Kenna? Yeah. Um, well, one of the advantages of having that 400 watt light uh, inside glass is that, the, you know, it's going to generate a bit less heat and uh, that heat is pulled off with a fan. So I would say you can get as close to as, as about a foot or so to the light um, with your plants. But like you said, they're going to stretch as well. So I'm thinking if you have 38 inches of height, um, you would set your screen right around... Uh, I would say maybe 20 to 24 inches, right? Right. What you said, um, the second time, not the 10 to 12 inches, cause that's going to be a little bit low for you. Um, uh, but somewhere around 20 to 24 inches will give you a good, you know, 28 or so, or, or I'm sorry, 18 inches or so before you hit the glass and the plants will stretch. The buds will go higher than your screen, but they won't go so much so high that they'll end up, uh, you know, too close to the light and getting burned. So I would say, uh, you know, set the set the screen around 20 to 24 inches, um, train the plants as it's growing in its vegetative stage into that screen. And then, you know, when you cut that cycle to 12, 12, uh, be very careful about that stretch. And if you see the, the, you know, the branches stretching and stretching, you know, find a way to bend it back uh, so that it doesn't go all the way up into the light and get burned. 
All right. We hope that helps you out there, Kenna. And uh, let's move on to Chronic D, who writes, um, I have been enjoying your podcasts from the beginning. Your recent interview with the Dank Duchess put me on a new path of isolating trichome heads. Now, I live in central Cali in an agricultural area, and the air is really dirty from farming and pollution. Uh, Every year at harvest, my hands get dirty from touching the material. Hmm. Uh, Harvest season is coming soon, and would you recommend dunking the branches in a bucket of water to wash off the dust uh, if I were to do it quickly? Um, I've heard people doing this, uh, but I'm nervous about creating mold issues. Uh, So what would you say to Chronic D? Yeah, um, I wouldn't recommend dunking the branches in in water. Uh, If you're going to be using ice water extraction, I guess it's not the end of the world, but I think you're going to damage your trichomes if you do that as well. Um, In reality, the dust particles are so much smaller than the gland heads that you're trying to catch that they're all going to hopefully pass through the screen um, without any trouble. So what I would do is, you know, do your best to shake off any dust or dirt that might be there um, on those branches uh, outside of using, you know, water or dunking them. I would just say do as, as much as you can to get that off of the surface. But then, you know, once you're ready to start your ice water extraction, uh, you know, just, you know, be sure to, you know, to agitate the water enough to get that dust um, moving and and going through the pores in the screen. Uh, again, the dust particles are, are much smaller than the gland heads that you're trying to catch. Uh, and the dust should fall right through the screen. Um, so, yeah, good luck with that. I, I It's definitely an issue um, for people in agricultural areas and, and places that, you know, where you're growing outdoors and you're at the mercy of, you know, what's in the air. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, because you're extracting um, hash from your material, it's not as important as, you know, for someone who was going to be smoking the flower, that, mater- that material would still have that dust on it. So um, enjoy the hash and try to keep that dust out. All right. So uh, thank you, Chronic D. Let's move on. We got time for one more question. So let's go to Donkey Farmer, who writes, uh, hi, Danny and Mike. Thanks for the podcast. Uh, I'm brand new at this and trying to get my first grow started. Uh, it's mid-July in Oregon, and I'm hoping to grow a couple plants outdoors this year. Is it too late to start with clones instead of seeds? Thanks again, and uh, great work. What do you say to Donkey Farmer? You know, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's not too late uh, in mid-July to get started with clones. The problem is you're just going to have very small plants. Uh, because you're in Oregon, you can't really extend the season uh, by, you know, let's say using uh, light supplementation to veg those plants out to be bigger. If you were in a greenhouse or some type of a structure that you could keep warm uh, in the fall and, and into the winter, I would say you could grow some pretty big plants by using light manipulation, you know, uh, supplementing with light to keep the plant in the vegetative stage and then letting it flower uh, a little bit later after it's gotten a certain size. But because you're you're saying you're growing outdoors and you're getting started in mid-July, I would say, you know, you can, you will grow and you will get uh, some flowers, but you're not going to have a big bushy plant uh, that yields a lot. You're going to have a nice small little, uh, little tree, little bush um, that you'll get something off of. 
and you you know there's no reason not to do it but I wouldn't have uh, very high expectations for a large yield because again the plant start starts flowering around mid-July so as soon as you put that clone outside uh, it's going to start flowering and it's not going to have a chance to build up uh, like it would if you had started in May or June where it would have like a, lo a much longer vegetative time so you know you'll get like a popsicle stick with a with a bud on the top um, or you know maybe you'll get it'll get a little bit longer and you'll get a nice short bush um, but you're not going to have a very big yield by starting in mid-July in Oregon all right and you know it just occurs to me uh, we we probably should have answered that question a little earlier for donkey farmer <laughs> hey, <laughs> sorry yeah. buddy uh, next year though uh, keep that in mind yeah all right. Well, that does it uh, for this Q&A section. Uh, again, if you have a question uh, that you'd like answered on this show, please do reach out. Uh, once again, it is info at growbudyourself.com. Um, what do you say we take a little break and then come back and wrap the show up? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So here we are. Wrapping up episode number 17 of Grow Bud Yourself. Hope you guys dig the new logo. Uh, check us out at patreon.com slash Danny Denko. Uh, thank you to Elise McDonough of Canacraft. Check out her books. Uh, check out Canacraft for all your uh, California cannabis needs. They have everything. Vape pens, flour, concentrates, edibles, tinctures, CBD products, and more. So please check out Canacraft. Thank you to Elise. Thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. Thank you to Excelsior Extracts uh, and their amazing pain rub, THC-infused pain rub. Check them out on Instagram. Thanks to Sweet Leaf Nutrients. Remember, uh, code GBY at vapor.com gets you 15% off everything, and that includes, you know, my favorite, the Puffco Peak. That includes, uh, if you like flower vapes, uh, the Pax 3 is an incredible flower vape. Um, and of course, the classic Volcano from Stores and Bickle. Any of those products, including CBD products and accessories for existing vaporizers, gets 15% off with code GBY at vapor.com. Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, you know, that's... there is one more thing that, that occurred to me uh, when we had Elise on earlier, and she had mentioned this moment that you had with Kid Cuddy in Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah, so then. I don't know if you recall, but um, we had a, a moment with Kid Cudi in Colorado where he played one of our medical cannabis cups, and he was given a, a BCNL grow box on stage. Do you remember this? <laughs> I do. I was on stage giving yeah. it to him. So you, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was at this, like, uh, this warehouse or something in uh, the middle of nowhere in, in Denver. I think it was the only place that we could we could get to actually host a concert. This is in the very early days of us doing the Medical Cup in uh, in America. And so Cuddy was there, and uh, he was doing, you know, a show. And in the middle of it, I think he was in the middle of performing um, Pursuit of Happiness. You came up to award him with this specialized, customized, very cool uh, BC Northern Lights grow box. And uh, I was filming this because we were going to obviously, you know, post it for high times. And so we went up there in the middle of the song and just this crowd was out there. And like, it was just 
the most insane moment of all of this like energy and you remember do, what i'm talking about i do i do remember i gave him a, a stoner of the year award and presented him with the grow box uh and it was actually it was between songs it was right before pursuit of happiness and oh, right. he, said, he went into it right? he went into yeah. pursuit of happiness and and mentioned that he, yeah, he like came name to, checked uh, you in it i think he came to the high times office and played it for us before he even released the record and uh yeah, you know, it was really, it was, it was very nice, and he actually got to test some of the strains and and concentrates. So I think he did his first dab on that trip uh, with our friend Sean, and uh, we had a lot of fun. And uh, he was he was quite a quite quite a good performer, and you know, just a nice guest. He wanted to hang out and really try all the cannabis, and and he, you know, he's got a love for for uh, the greenery, so it was fun. It was a good time. This and, is like and, back in what 2012, would you say? Right around 2012, yeah. Around yeah. Then, yeah. That's a, it must be around that time, almost 10 years ago now, you know, looking back, eight years. And, uh, yeah, he, he, you know, uh, he came over to Amsterdam prior to that. Then he did the Denver thing with us. And, um, yeah, we had a lot of fun with Cuddy. And, and uh, you know, he's gone on to do some amazing things. So uh, shout out to him as well. We'd love yeah, to get him on the show one day. Yeah. There's got to be a video of that since I was uh, shooting a video. There is. So, there is video yeah, on YouTube. Well, There's also like crowd shots of it as well. I did a little mm-hmm. dance at the end that yeah, I'm not, yeah, not right. super proud of. Uh, but well, hey, you know, we still might link it uh, just for, for everyone to check out or I'll, I'll tweet it or something. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, hey, this has been episode 17. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. And let's put this one in the books. <laughs>